I guess there have been a lot of lessons over the years on how to change, and so I'm going to throw in my two cents worth. But I'm not going to give you any secrets today if, uh, how to lose weight or quit smoking or get in shape. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. What I want to do is I want to I look at the bigger picture of, of changing. You know, a lot of us, whenever we want to do something, we say, we say, I'm going to lose weight. And sometimes that's all we say. We just say, I'm going to lose weight. And then six months later, we hadn't lost any weight. Or other times we say, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to, I'm going to start riding my bicycle every day, and I'm going to quit eating so much chocolate, and I'm not going to eat any more ice cream. And a lot of times we'll lose the weight or we'll lose some weight, but we just never get where we want to. And then, of course, we see a lot of people that will quit a habit for a while and they'll be real successful, and then they pick the habit up again. Or sometimes they, uh, they kick one habit, and they pick up another one in exchange. And so sometimes we, it seems like change should be so easy if we just make up our mind to do something. And sometimes it is. Sometimes we say, I'm going to learn a new language. And we buy, you know, Babel or something. And, and six months later, we've learned a lot. We go, wow, that's really cool. But so often we get frustrated because it seems like change should be so easy. You know, we see how little kids learn stuff so quickly, and we say, what's wrong with me? Why can't I change? And so I want to talk about the, the bigger picture of changing. <clears throat> As I've already alluded to, whenever we get ready to change, there's, there's two things that we take into consideration. One is what we want. I want... You know, Dave Ramsey says you need to have a $1,000 emergency fund. You say, I want a $1,000 emergency fund, like Dave Ramsey says. So, well, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to start saving money. And you look at your budget and you say, I can save $100 a month. And so we've got our goal, what we want, and then we've got the process, how we're going to do it. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to do it this way. But there's a third thing that we often fail to take into consideration, and that's, I want to talk about the other two, but I want to start with number one. I've talked about number three and number two. Now I want to talk about number one, and that is our identity. Now I'm not going to talk about some, you know, psychobabble or you know what counselors or psychologists psychiatrists say but you know we all see ourselves in a certain way we see ourselves as a high school student or, or a, as, a, as a housewife or a, a carpenter whatever we do for and that's kind of the way we see ourselves but then there's also the deeper ways that we see ourselves and I'll give you an example you see sometimes a woman a battered woman. She's living with or has an abusive boyfriend or living with an abusive husband. And to us, it's so obvious. You know, so we see her with the black eyes and, and we think, why don't you leave him? Or why do you keep going back to him? Well, I'm, I don't want to point my finger at anyone or get into, you know, deep discussions. But a lot of times the problem is the person sees themselves that way. 
Maybe they came. Maybe their dad abused them or, or someone else abused them. Maybe they had parents that always told them, you're not worth anything. And so this woman grows up believing that she doesn't deserve good things in life and that she's not worth anything. And so when some guy beats her up, she thinks that's what she deserves. That's just the way she sees herself. And you can try to talk her out of it and say, you don't deserve this, and there are guys out there that will treat you better, and here's a better woman. But she still sees herself that way. You know, you can get her away from the boyfriend, and she can come live with you and live in a, a safe environment, but she still sees herself that way. And we say, you know, we, you and I look at a situation like that and go, What's wrong? Why, why does she not want better things? Well, what we need to do it ourselves, when we, of course, you know, uh, you know, getting in shape or losing weight, that's not nearly as serious as, as getting beat up all the time. But we need to look at ourselves and say, what's wrong with me? And so one of the things that we need to do when we want to change, and like I said, I'm not really here to you know, be a fitness coach or a health coach or anything like that because there are more important things than that. We're talking about spiritual things here. And so I want to talk about how to change us spiritually to be the kind of person that, that we want to be and that we know we should be. Most people don't consider when, when we want to change, we don't consider how we see ourselves. I remember Zig Ziglar talking about a guy, and I didn't understand it a whole lot at the time, but Zig Ziglar talked about a guy that was just really, really, really overweight. Now, I think he, if I, remember, if I remember the story correctly, he started listening to Zig Ziglar um, tapes and everything, and he got convinced that he could change. He could, he could lose weight, and he listened to these Zig Ziglar tapes. I think he was the guy where he told Zig Ziglar, he said, if you're ever sick, you call me because I can give your talk word for word. He had listened to him so many times. But the thing that's interesting about this story is one time he was in a department store, and a little, he heard a little girl laugh, and the little girl said to her mom, Mom, look at that fat man. And the guy turned around to see who the girl was talking about because he had finally, he did not see himself as a fat man anymore. When he heard the little girl talk about a fat man, he thought she was talking about someone else. His identity, he no longer saw himself as a fat man. And sure enough, he, he started losing weight and, and reached his goals. And a lot of times we, we want to change ourselves, but because of the way we grew up or the things that we've been told, the things our parents told us, or uh, the bullies at school, or, or husband or wife, or whoever, brothers or sisters made fun of us, we see ourselves a certain way, which is not true. And so when we go to change, we don't realize that our old identity can sabotage our new plans. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, you got two people that smoke and they want to quit. And uh, they go to a party or something and one of them says, hey, do you want a cigarette? And he says, no, I'm trying to quit. And the other guy that's been trying to quit the exact same length of time said, you want a cigarette? And he goes, no, I don't smoke. You see the difference? One of them sees himself as a smoker, but I'm trying not to be a smoker anymore. The other one says, no, I'm not a smoker. And yet they can, it may have only been a week since either of them smoked. They're in the same boat, but they see themselves differently. And if we become Christians, we need to see ourselves differently. Have you ever been in a situation where you were tempted to do something or 
maybe you were about to do something that you used to do, in the th- or you, maybe you're about to tell a joke, and the thought crossed your mind. I mean, you didn't say it out loud, but you thought, I can't do that. I can't do that. Because you, you think differently now. You know, you've done it a lot in the past, and sure, you could actually do it, but now you tell yourself, I, I, I couldn't do that. Because you see yourself differently. Now you think differently. When I was a child, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. So we can see ourselves differently. James chapter 4. I always wondered about this verse for years and years. I never asked anyone about it. And uh, it finally hit me. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Well, let's skip down a little bit. Um, in, cha- in chapter 4 and verse 2, he says... Uh, you, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. But then he says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then he calls these people adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Why are these people, why if I want something and ask for it, why am I an adulterer? Well, what's an adulterer? Uh, an adulterer is someone who's married and has an extramarital affair. If you're single, can you be an adulterer? No. You can commit fornication, but you can't commit adultery. Adultery is between two married people. Now, why is an adulterer? An adulterer is someone whose body is here, but his mind is somewhere else. He or she wants to be with the other person, even though they're married to this person. And we can be the same way. We can, we can be in the church, but our mind is somewhere else. And so what we got to do is we've got to change our mind, our identity, the way we think. We've got to change ourselves, not our habits, but ourselves inside. Uh, Proverbs says, keep your heart with all diligence. That's what we've got to look out for. It's what's inside us, who I am. So uh, so there's a difference between the top between the uh, person who wants this and the person who is this. No, I don't smoke. No, I'm a Christian. You can someone say, "Hey, do you want to do this?" You can say, "Well, I shouldn't," or "No, I can't." Or you can say, no, I'm a Christian. One person doesn't want to do it. The other person wants to do it, but they know they're not supposed to. we got to work on the inside. Let me ask you a question. What does it feel like to be a Christian? A lot of times people, you talk to people, and they say, oh, I don't feel worthy. Or um, they, they just, you know, the person's a Christian, but they just say negative things about themselves. So what, what does it feel like to be an American citizen? Do you ever think about that? No, you, you just are. I mean, we've got certain rights, the right to freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, the right to bear arms, the right to trial by jury, and we've got all these rights, but I don't feel different. And when we become a Christian, we come out of the water, we don't feel any different. Now, there are a lot of things that are true, just like when you're an American citizen, there are protections you have. But you don't have to feel different. Just because you come out of the water and doesn't, you don't feel any different, 
There's nothing wrong with that. We put way too much emphasis on feelings, but feelings come and go. When you're tired, you feel this way. When you're mad, you feel another way. When you're hungry, you feel grouchy. Uh, when you get a raise, you feel happy. Feelings comes and goes and change. But there are truths that are always the same. In Romans 12 and verse 1, Paul talks about the renewing of your mind. I beseech you, listen, let me read it so I don't mess up. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed, do not be like the world, but be transformed or be changed by the renewing of our mind. To renew means two, two th it means a lot of things, but two things it means. One is to begin again. You know, we, we uh, were babies and we grew up and then we learned bad habits and, and we sinned. When we become a Christian, that's our chance to begin again, to start over a fresh start by the renewing of your mind, a fresh start. To renew also means to make extensive changes. Uh, we can't do the same things. We can't think the same way. Now that we're a Christian, we've got to do things differently. We've got to make some extensive changes. Um, Paul wrote the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, how do you get in Christ? For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. We're baptized into Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Now, are you going to feel different? No. When a person becomes an American citizen, they feel the same. I mean, they can be happy about it, and they finally reach their goal, but they still go home and eat supper, and they still sleep, and they still get up and work. Nothing's changed, but they're an American citizen. When you became a Christian, a lot of things changed, even though you don't feel like it. What changed? Well, one, you're a new person. We read 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. You're now saved, for by grace you are saved through faith. You are a saved person. You don't have to feel like it, but you are. First uh, Corinthians 6 and verse 19 says that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost lives in us. Uh, if you go to buy a house, or maybe sometimes a car, you get a lot of liquor. Sometimes in these ads... They'll say, serious lookers only. They don't want to just talk to everybody. Hey, how much do you want for that house? They don't want to talk to everyone who's curious. They only want to talk to people that are serious. And so sometimes when you're buying something large, like a, a house or land, they have what they call earnest money. And you'll take $500, which for most of us is a lot of money. Even, I mean, no one wants to lose 500 So to anybody, $500 is a lot of money. And you will give this to this person to show them that you're serious about buying this house. In other words, you need to spend some time with me because I'm serious enough about buying this house. I'm going to give you this $500 as a deposit so you'll know I'm serious. In Second um, Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, the Old Testament says that God has given us the Holy Spirit as earnest money. That's what we call it when you give us $500 to someone. In the New King James Version, it uses the... Uh, the word uh, guarantee. God is serious enough about getting you to heaven 
that he's put the Holy Spirit in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you say, oh, well, I, I, just, I just don't feel worthy. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter how you feel. This is, this is the truth. This is what God said. Well, I don't know. You know, the problem with Peter, when he was walking on water, he saw Jesus, and he knew Jesus, and he saw Jesus walking on the water, and he wanted to do that too. And he said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. And Jesus held out his hand, and Peter came out on the water. But then all of a sudden, his belief wavered, and he started sinking. What did Jesus tell him? He said, oh, ye of little faith. He, in one sense, he believed, but in the other sense, he didn't. He didn't believe that he could do it. He didn't believe that Jesus would save him. I don't know what all he didn't believe, but Jesus told him, said, you don't have very much faith. And all these things I've read, if you're still telling yourself, oh, I don't know, I, I just don't feel worthy. and I, I don't, Jesus would tell you, oh, you have little faith. Because he's made all these promises here. And these, these are all facts. And so just like Peter needed to believe Jesus and walk on that water and, and stand upright and not sink, we don't need to sink in depression, lying to ourselves, telling ourselves the devil's lies. God has told us the truth, and just like Peter, we can choose either to believe them or not. But if we choose not to believe what God says, we don't need to be blaming God. That's our fault. Are you going to listen to your old sinful self talk to you? Are you going to remember the things your dad told you when you were growing up, the way your mom treated you? Are you going to listen to what God says? We've got to have a new identity because we are a new person. We just need to understand this now. A lot of times when you start work at a, a new company, uh, all of a sudden you get lots of benefits. There's a, uh, uh, insurance and a health savings plan and life insurance and vacation and all these things the company is going to give you if you just you know show up to work and be a good worker. And a lot of times they'll have an orientation to explain all this stuff to you, tell you all the benefits you've got now, so you can take advantage of them. You know, a lot of times if you put X number of dollars in the savings, the company will match it up to a percentage or whatever. So they have orientation. This is what this is right now. It's orientation. You're a Christian. These are all the things that are true about us now. But you know, a lot of people don't know those things. They become a Christian and they think, oh, I've got to stop sinning now. And no one ever says, the Holy Spirit's living in you now. You go, really? I didn't know that. No one ever told me that. This is orientation. We've got to look at ourselves a different way now. We can't be a, become baptized and rise to walk in newness of life and keep thinking the same way as we used to and, and seeing ourselves the same way. We're different people now, and we've got to see ourselves. And if we keep seeing ourselves as not worthy and, you know, like I said, all the, the lies that your dad told you, then that's really going to stunt our Christian growth. We've got to understand these truths here. We've got to see ourselves as God's special people, like Peter talked about in uh, his first letter. So after we become a Christian, well, let's see what Paul says about that. Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, were we raised with Christ? 
course, where Romans 6 talks about how when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. The old man is crucified, and we rise to walk in newness of life. So Paul tells the Colossians, if then you were raised with Christ, were you raised with Christ? Of course you were. If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind or set your affections on things above. What is an affection? Affection is something you love. I love chocolate. Ask Angie, almost every night after supper I say, oh, I wish I had some chocolate. But I know I don't need it, so we don't buy it, because if it's there, I eat it. And if it's there, I will eat it all. And every night after supper, I say, oh, I wish I had some chocolate. And there's no chocolate there. But that's where my affections are. That's where my taste buds are. Oh, I wish I had some chocolate. Paul says, if you're a Christian now, you've got to quit wanting the old things, and you've got to start wanting the new things. Which, you know, we kind of do. I mean, we really do. We all want to be healthy. We want to have enough money. We want to have a good marriage. But then after supper, oh, I wish I had some chocolate. <laughs> and so you eat the chocolate. Let's do some math. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. How many calories does a chocolate chip cookie have? Well, we looked at about 78. 78 calories. 78 calories is not much. A pound of fat is about, I guess it varies, 3,500 calories. If you ate enough bluebell ice cream in one day to consume 3,500 calories, you'd probably be a pound heavier the next day. If you eat one chocolate chip cookie, can you tell a difference? No? can't tell the difference today. You can't tell the difference tomorrow. But this round is 78 up to 80. 80 calories in chocolate chip cookie times, let's do seven. 560 calories. That's only a seventh of a pound. At the end of the week you get on the scales, are you going to be able to notice a seventh of a pound difference? Probably not. Okay. Let's clear it. Let's see. 80 times 365 it's 29,000 calories in a year, divided by 3,500 calories per pound. That's eight pounds a year. So if you gain eight pounds in a year, is that a bad thing? Well, sort of, but I can still fit into my genes. Now let's multiply that times five years. You gain 40 pounds a year, or in, in five years. How'd you gain 40 pounds? Baiting a gallon of bluebell every day? No one chocolate chip cookie. You see what happens when your mind is in the wrong place? But on the other hand, if you say, say, oh, no, no thanks, I couldn't. At the end of five years, you hadn't gained 40 pounds. You gotta set your affections on things above. You gotta set your affections on the things that you want. In um, Philippians chapter three, in verse 19, Paul talks about people He's talking about some wicked people whose God is their belly. What does he mean, whose God is their belly? Well, a Christian wants to do what Jesus wants him to do. Someone whose God is their belly does what they want to do. When they're hungry, they eat. If they see something they want, they steal it. Uh, if they don't want to work, they don't. If they want to take drugs, they do. Whatever they want to do, they just do it. Their God is their belly. 
Paul said, if you're, the, if you're risen with Christ, you've got to set your affections on godly things. He says, um, let's see here, Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. And I guess this is, this is the clincher right here. For those who live according to the flesh, in other words, people who are not Christians, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But um, those who live according to the Spirit, people who are Christians, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Like Paul said, set your affections on things above. So we all have the goals that we want. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better dad. I want to uh, be a better elder. I want to preach better. So that's our goal. If, if we want to change our lives, we've got to pay attention to the small things. And already jumped the gun by the chocolate chip cookie example. It's 78 calories a day. Now, if you eat that cookie or the ice cream or whatever, you're not going to notice a difference today, tomorrow. You come to church next Sunday, no one's going to notice a difference. But you see what that little thing over a year and over five years makes a big difference. The little things are the big things. If I don't read the Bible today, you'll never know. I won't. you got two brothers, and one of them reads a chapter and the other doesn't, can you tell any difference in them? No, they can't even tell any difference in each other. But then we see people that can like quote hundreds of verses and we go, whoa, I wish I could do that. Well, you know how they did it? One verse at a time. Maybe two or three. Maybe they memorized two or three. One verse at a time. And yet years later we look at them and say, you are so smart. I wish I was as smart as you. Do you really wish you were as smart as them? If you do, Pay attention to the little things. The little things are the big things. And yet we don't see a difference from one day to the next, so, so we let them slide. We go out and we say, I'm going to get in better shape. So we go run or walk or ride a bicycle or get on the treadmill. And a week later, we can't see any difference. We eat the chocolate chip cookie, and the next day we can't see any difference. But the little things lead to the big things. And so when it comes to changing we sabotage ourselves in, the, in these three areas. One is we, we still see ourselves the way we used to see ourselves. We've got to change the way we see ourselves. The second thing is we've got to have good goals. At the end of the day, I can't say, oh, I would love to have some chocolate. Maybe that would be a good time to go out and walk. So we've got to have different goals. We just sabotage ourselves when we we know we ought to change and we want to change, and this is what we want out there, but we're like the adulterers, you know, our, we're in one spot, but our mind is somewhere else. And then the third thing is, it's the little things that make a big difference. If you could save $100 a week, I know that if you're in high school, you're only making $200 a month, you can't save $100 a week. But you get out of college or, or you get a job and, and uh, you start saving $100 a week at 7% interest for 40 years. I'm 62. Most people get out of college at about age 22. So age 22 to age 62, $100 a week 
will be well over a million dollars. How many of us here are millionaires? Probably nobody. How many of us could have been millionaires? <laughs> All of us. The little things are the big things. Just a, a couple more final thoughts. Our behavior is usually a reflection of our identity. The way we, we keep seeing ourselves is the way we keep acting. The more deeply a thought or an action is tied to our identity, the more difficult it is to change. And that's why we've got to renew our mind. We've got to change our way of thinking. So a person becomes a Christian. Or a person, I remember I told Angie years ago, you know, I realized that I was just, you know, wasn't the best husband. And I said, I'm going to change. You're going to see a new man. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't change the way I saw myself. I didn't really have a goal other than just broad, general, you know, be a better person kind of thing. I mean, I didn't say I'm going to control my tongue, control my temper, you know. I didn't have any specific goals. And I didn't really change anything, the little things. So six months later, did she see a new man? No. So where do you start? Well, you've got to start in all three areas. Does a person that's a new Christian just immediately see themselves differently? No. You've got to constantly renew your mind. You've got you to be in the Word. You've got to listen to lessons. You've got to get around to other Christians, and slowly your mind will change, and you'll start thinking differently and thinking like other Christians. Do you, do you wait until your identity, the way you see yourself, is better before you start doing the small things? Well, that's going to be a long time. You know, on the other hand, if you start doing the small things, you say, you know, Nike says, just do it. How many get in shape? We'll go for a walk. Do, get down and do 20 push-ups. Oh, you do 20 push-ups. Oh, that hurt. Oh. But I did it. You started. Now just keep it up. And that 20 push-ups is going to end up being 100, 200, 500, you know. you got to start working on your identity. you got to start getting better goals, thinking differently, you know, what you want in life. And then you got to start doing the little things. You know, I've heard that uh, if you don't like somebody, <clears throat> just be nice to them anyway. Angie says, fake it until you make it. And so you hate this person, you don't like this person, so you avoid this person, you never go around them. And you know what? Six months later, you still don't like this person. A year later, you still don't like this person. But you fake it to make it. You're the nicest person. How are you today? Good to see you again. I hate you. <laughs> I don't really. It's not good to see you. You're thinking, you know. But you were friendly, and they were friendly back. And you think hi and everything. And you, after a while, you go, say, you know, I, I really kind of like him. He's really kind of a nice guy. And then you get together with him at church or... Uh, you know, covered dish supper or whatever, and, and you get to visiting, talk about the job and kids and everything. You go, man, he's a lot like me. I really like him. You go home and tell you why. Say, man, I, I really like him. And your wife's kind of <laughs> <laughs> laughing, remembering when you're talking bad about him. And so doing the little things goes back and changes the way you see yourself and changes your goals. So all three of these things work together. No one is better than the other, but you can't leave out any of the three. All of the three work together the way you see yourself, the, what you want to accomplish, your goals, and then the little things you do. You've got to change them all three at once, and then they feed on each other. You know what synergy is? Synergy is when one plus one equals three. You go, how does that work? 
Well, two people working together, or three people working together can accomplish a lot more than those people working separately. You can do all these three things together and they, and they all work to, to help you change your life. And so you look back and you go, why can't I change? Think about these three things and see where you failed and see which one you go, ah, I see now, I understand, and now you know what to work on. We always offer a song of invitation, and I think a lot of us have grown up thinking that we have to come up front and confess our sins or whatever. You don't have to do that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to do that. You can just sing this song, and you can think, you know what, I'm going to do things differently from now on. And you get in the car with your wife or your parents or whatever, and you say, I want to apologize, and I want to do things differently. You don't have to come up here. You don't have to be embarrassed. It may not be any of my business, but you can still make the change. So while we're singing this song, think about things we've talked about, think about your lives, and, uh, and decide to make that change now while we sing.